Hello from the members of First United Methodist Church in Royce City. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you find it meaningful and relevant. You're invited to join us for worship anytime, and you can learn more about our worship options, location, and small group opportunities by visiting our website, fumcroycecity.org. May God bless you as you listen to His Word proclaimed. Well, good morning again, church family. It's Pastor Chris, and Tracy and I aren't with you again this morning, but I am so excited to introduce to you our our preacher for this morning. It is the Reverend Dr. James Bryant Smith. I first met uh, Dr. Smith way back in 1991 while I was getting my undergrad degree in music education at Friends University in Wichita, Kansas. He He then served as the uh, campus pastor, and I had many opportunities to work with him, uh, helping to lead music during Bible studies or during uh, the uh, Thursday faith and learning class there. Uh, Since then, uh, Reverend Dr. James Smith has moved on as the executive director of the Apprentice Institute, and he still is a theology professor there at Friends University in Wichita, Kansas. He also serves as an ordained elder in the United Methodist Church in the Great Plains Annual Conference where he serves and will be preaching this morning at Chapel Hill United Methodist Church, which another interesting note, that is the church where I attended and answered my call to go into ministry. He is the author of 10 books, most notably the Apprentice series uh, through University Press, which continues to shape the work of the Apprentice Institute. Other books that uh, Dr. Smith has written includes devotional classics with Richard Foster, Embracing the Love of God, Room of Marvels, and Hidden in Christ. His most recent book, The Magnificent Journey, was published in October of 2018, which is the second book in a new trilogy. I know that you will be blessed by the message that uh, Dr. Smith will bring this morning, and Tracy and I look forward to being back with you in worship next Sunday. Have a great day, and be blessed. Hey, well, good morning, folks. Uh, Gosh, there's no one here in the sanctuary except me and Jeremy and Heidi. Getting used to that, kind of weird, but I am by faith preaching a sermon that you will hear. So there you go. Um, Even though I'm looking at a sea of no people. Here we go. So when my daughter Hope was six, my father-in-law, Emil Johnson, um, Hope's grandfather, informed us that uh, he and my mother-in-law had invested in a 529 account, which is a, a college fund. So they, so Hope's six, and he calls me, hey, we put money in this 529, it's, uh, it's an investment, it's for her college, and, uh, and then my father-in-law said this, and I really think it's great, so I got it out on the screen for you, but he said, her grandmother and I would love to invest in Hope's future. I thought of this when I was studying our passage for today, which is Romans 8. Lucky me, I drew in the lectionary uh, Romans 8. This is one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible. I memorized Romans 8 a while back, and it's just so rich and deep and so much good stuff in it. So I'm meditating on the passage, and then I'm thinking, okay, this is kind of like that line about hope. So when Hope went to college, which was last year, 
uh, goes to Friends University. Many of you may know that. I don't know. Uh, but so, so she's getting all set. I'm there. We're, we're paying the bills, getting stuff. And, and um, being able to have her room and board and books and everything paid for was such a blessing. It was like, you know, hallelujah and amen, right? So keep that idea in mind as I kind of walk us through Romans 8, this idea of investing in hope's future. Okay, so the opening verse of Romans 8:12, where we start our passage today, says, so then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors. That's kind of a weird thing to say, because when you tell someone you're a debtor, that's usually not good. But in this case, it actually is good. I'm going to have to explain that, but he begins with, so then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors. Now, if you just read this verse by itself, it would raise a number of questions. And I like doing that when I study a Bible passage. I like to ask a lot of questions. So there's some questions right away. And I've come up with five questions. So one question is, who's the we? It says, we are debtors. Who's we? Second, why are we debtors? Third, to whom are we in debt? Fourth, what were we given that makes us in debt? And how does this change how we live. All right, so I'm a teacher, teaching pastor here at Chapel Hill, and as a teacher I know that it's important to raise the right questions, answer them, unpack them, and then answer them again at the end so that you can really get it. Pedagogically, it's very helpful to do that. I'm going to do that today. So let's look at these five questions, and I'm going to give the answers. Who's the we in the passage? Well, it's Christians or Christ followers. I, I prefer the term Christ followers. Question two, why are we debtors? Well, because something has been given on our behalf and it's going to shape our response or how we live. Third question, to whom are we in debt? The Trinity. We'll be talking about the Trinity today. Fourth question, what were we given that makes us in debt? Answer, Adoption into the family of God, a life without fear, and a promised future inheritance or hope. So those three things, got to unpack those as well. Fifth and final question, how does this change how we live? Well, it shapes how we endure suffering, thus shaping our character. All right, so let's jump into those questions and walk through uh, and use Romans 8 as our passage to understand them. Okay, so the first question, you know, who? And it starts with that word we, right? So who is it that's the we? Well, Paul's writing to the Christians in Rome. So w- w- what do we know about the group? He writes the letter, it's sent, they gather together as a church, they're all there together having their, their meal, the fellowship, communion, Lord's Supper, teaching the apostles, well, they would read Paul's letter. So the we is clearly a group of Christians or Christ followers. And let me just say this about these people. We know that they were Christians at a risk, that that it it was not favored in the empire to be Christians. Christians would ultimately be persecuted. So it's a group of Christ followers who have pledged their allegiance to Jesus as their king. And when you do that, we know, we know biblically that we are 
born from above or born again or born of the Spirit. We're all new people, people in whom Christ dwells and delights. That's a, that's a favorite here at Chapel Hill. We're people in whom Christ dwells and delights. And last week I spoke about my own conversion experience, August 8th, 1980. And that's when um, I confessed Jesus as Lord. And it absolutely revolutionized my whole life. So that's the we. The we are these Christ followers. And they're the ones who have stepped into this new reality. So the people who are in debt, that Paul's talking about, are Christians. All right. Question two. Why are we debtors? Okay, so real basic on debt. You're in debt when someone has given something to you. You you buy a car, for example, and you take out a loan. And you get the car, woo-hoo, that's great. But then you got to pay the money back. That's the boo-hoo. So the woo-hoo car, boo-hoo, i got to pay it back. Someone has given you something that you are indebted and you pay it back. That's basically how debt works. So in our case, or in the case of Christians or Christ followers, why are we debtors? Well, because something has been given on our behalf and it's going to shape us. It's a really incredible gift that's been given to us and, and it's going to change how our lives go. That's how this works. Okay, question three then. To whom are we in debt? Because if you're always indebted to someone, like it's the bank or whatever, but in this case, Paul says in Romans 8:14, all who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. So we are indebted to the Spirit. But remember, the Trinity is one. We talk a lot about the Trinity here at Chapel Hill. It's very important. It's the heart of our theology. It's the heart of our anthropology, who we understand ourselves. So the Trinity always acts as one, always in complete accordance. Jesus said, I only do what the Father's doing. I see what the Father's doing. The Father and me, me and the Father, the Spirit, they all act together. So really the answer to the question, to whom are we in debt, the answer is the Trinity. Because God in Christ through the Spirit has made us children of God. God in Christ through the Spirit has made us children of God. And at Chapel Hill we have that uh, right in front of us in our house of worship. There's the hands of the Father, there's the risen Christ, and then there is the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove, like a dove, right? But anyway, so the Trinity is really crucial. God in Christ through the Spirit has made us children of God. So we're indebted to the Trinity. So, Christ followers have been given something by the Trinity. So now we get to dig a little deeper and go into question four, which is, what were we given that makes us in debt? Okay, so no. Great, great part of Romans 8, 15 through 17. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it's that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Oh, I love this. Love this passage. So much good stuff here. What is he saying? When we cry, Abba, Father, it's that spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we're children of God. So what we learn from this passage is we have been adopted into the family of God. 
Adoption is such a beautiful image. Paul loves to use it. And that's the idea that we were not a part of a family, but then we were brought into that family, adopted into it. So now we have full rights and membership into this family into which we have been adopted. And he also is saying, we're no longer slaves to fear because we've not been given a spirit of fear. We've been given a spirit of, of the children, right? And that's who we are. And we're heirs as a part of being in, in this family, immersion in this family. The inheritance, we understand how that works as well. When you're a part of the family, there's an ultimate inheritance. And so that, that's all that we've been given. We're members of the family, um, adopted into the family of God, life without fear, and a promised future inheritance, which is hope. That's what hope is. Hope is certainly in a good future, and I'll have that later on the screen for you, because that's a big word for us, hope. Okay, so that's what we've been given, adoption into the family of God, a life without fear, and a promised future inheritance, hope. It's, so it's a good future. That's what we have been given. Okay, so to question five, does this matter? Does, I mean, how does this change how we live. Well, Paul's going to address it in Romans 8, 17, just jumping ahead. He said, if in fact we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him, I consider that the sufferings of this present time aren't worthy, not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. That's Romans 8, 17. Really, really good stuff. So, it's going to shape our lives in very real, very important ways. So, I'm going I'm to actually skip back a little bit, and let's look for a minute at Romans 5. So, back a few chapters. Uh, before we get to 8, Paul was writing these incredible words in Romans 5, and they fit perfectly with what's happening in 8, and, and this is what Paul writes then. We also boast in our sufferings, knowing that our suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that's been given to us. You see that beautiful intersection. Paul's thinking is so cohesive and connected. But what's, what's going on here? This is a word about suffering. Paul understood the suffering in his own life because when he chose to be a Christ follower, that was a radical life change, and, and he was very much persecuted. He had to be let out of, he had to escape town once hiding in a basket. He was beaten repeatedly. A lot of tough things happened to Paul and would happen. He would ultimately be beheaded, and that would happen to many of the, the Christ followers over the next couple of centuries. So suffering very much a part of his understanding, but he sees it in a different way. That's why he can say something as crazy, as, or let's just say bold, let's not say crazy, as we boast in our sufferings. Because that doesn't make sense. In a sense, same sense, why would you boast in being in debt? Why is that a good thing? Well, in Paul's mind it is, because of the bigger picture of the magnificent story of the Trinity. So the work of God in Christ through the Spirit, you notice I've said that a few times, the work of God in Christ through the Spirit, Trinitarian reality, has shaped us and how we face our suffering. Because 
knowing that we have been grafted into this family and that we have nothing to be afraid of and that we have hope, it's going to shape how we go forth in suffering. We do it with endurance and it also shapes our character. I like to put it this way, have it on screen for you. We learn how to be loving in the midst of deprivation. We learn how to be loving in the midst of deprivation. That's the opportunity that suffering creates for us. That's the reality, okay? So I have a photo here. It's a photo in my backyard. And there's some things I just want to point out for a minute. One is, right in the center is my pear tree. And in the background is my um, peach tree. And this year, something happened back in March, March into April. So uh, as these beautiful blossoms, the peach and the, the peach trees, pink blossoms, the, the pear trees, white blossoms, it was so gorgeous and exciting. But then something happened. This, this freeze happened over a couple of days, this frost. Bye-bye blossoms and no fruit. It's a bummer. That's happened in, in the past before, a few years back, and it's a bummer. Last year didn't happen. Last year, bumper crop. Had, had just so many peaches and pears, you know, had to peel them off. But what's the metaphor going on here, folks? You probably can guess. Something also happened to us back in early spring when we were faced with COVID-19. And it absolutely radically changed so many things. And it's led to a lot of suffering. It's, it's led to a kind of deprivation that um, has been very challenging for us. Just, just tragic. I don't know if there's a better word to say. We see it around our world. And, and it shaped us. So that's where we now live. But here's what I want to say. Great quote from Daniel Harrell. Biblical hope is not especially optimistic, but rather is the fruit of suffering, perseverance, and character. Play on words there. You get that? I just showed you fruit trees. Biblical hope is not especially optimistic. See, in the world that we live in, we, just, we want to be optimistic about things. We want to just sort of, I want to be, be positive to be positive. That's not biblical hope. We don't trust in the things of this world. I mean, we're looking for and longing for a vaccine, for this to go away, to, change, you know, to get back to a life. And we're hoping on certain things in a certain way. But biblical hope is rather the fruit of suffering, perseverance, and character. So that's why Paul can say in the midst of that suffering, he can rejoice because he knows it's producing something in us. That's why this last question, how does this shape how we live, all these this debt that we're in? How does it impact us? Let me say this. Right now, the, the, big, the big theological elephant in the room is why would God allow this? Theodicy, yeah, that's the question of how can a good God allow evil? That's the question of, it's called theodicy, fancy word. Uh, theodicy is the biggest obstacle for many, many people to believe in God. It's, it's the thing that uh, creates a lot of atheism or agnosticism. People just, I can't believe in a God that would allow that. We have to just face this head on. Theodicy is a real question. Here's what I would say to this, folks. God has allowed COVID-19. He's allowed it. 
in the same sense that he's allowed cancer and he's allowed car wrecks. God allows things, but God does never, never will allow it to win. You see, he's allowed COVID-19, but he will not allow it to win. And that I say by hope. Not that there won't be more suffering or more tragedy and loss. That's true even before this pandemic season. It's just the nature of life. Life is really hard. I've lost a lot of loved ones and suffered through many things, and that's just the nature of life. But as a Christian, we suffer differently. We do it, 1 Thessalonians 4.17, we do it with hope, and that changes suffering. So the answer to question five, how does this change how I live, how we live? It shapes how we endure suffering, thus shaping our character, thus making us peculiar people. That's what Peter said in his epistle. We are a royal priesthood. Uh, We're a peculiar people. It's an amazing idea that Christians are unique. And a big part of it is how we endure things like suffering. We do it with hope. Stephen Paulson said this, spirit debt is not what must be repaid, but what is paid to you. So back to the beginning, we are debtors, brothers and sisters. Like, how is that good news, Paul? Well, because spirit debt doesn't have to be repaid. You can't repay it. You can't keep the law. You can't go serve and become a martyr and pay it. But nothing you can do pays it back. And God doesn't want you to. God's not interested. God in Christ through the Spirit is not interested in you trying to pay that back. No interest in that. But it is a kind of debt, something that's been given to us on our behalf that now changes how we live. So back to my in-laws. Long before Hope went to college, they already started saving for her education. And when the day came for them to pay for her room and board, and they did, but they did it gladly. Note this. They never said and never will say, hey, are you, you need to pay us back. That's, that's, that's against the whole point, the principle of what they were trying to do. They were investing in that. See, And hope, as we've said, is defined as certainty in a good future. They were doing it for her future. Remember that statement, we want to invest in hope's future. Paul concludes this section in Romans 8 with some more incredibly powerful words. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what, what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. There's the difference. There it is. We were saved in hope. We don't often think about that. We don't think about hope and see, but I, I, I've quoted John Zazulus before. Guess that's a cool name, just to say John Zazulus, who said Christians have their roots in the future and their branches in the present. That's one weird thing about us Christians. Our roots are in the future. We know, we long for and look for the day when the groaning of this creation ends and there'll be no more night, no more day, the Revelation 21, a full restoration and we'll reign with Him forever. That's the promise. That's where we're looking for. And that hope, which I can't see now, I can't see 
that now. I can't see, I can't even see that I'm Jim in whom Christ dwells and delights, or as I call you that, right? If I, if I say, as I do to like Ar- Arlene Amos, I'll say, Arlene in whom Christ dwells and delights. I can't see it, in a sense. I can see it in her character. But that's what hope is, right? It's, it's about what it isn't seen, but is a reality. And that's where we are now living. In hope we've been saved. In hope we've been saved. Isn't that wonderful what my, my father-in-law said when he called me up? We would love to invest in hope's future. How great is it? There's nothing better, folks. I mean, you, people want to win the lottery or whatever. They, you know, they, want to go, they want to go to the magic kingdom and have a great time. Look, life in the kingdom of God is way better than a trip to Disney or, or a lottery win. It's the greatest thing that's ever been offered to mankind. Eternal life, Zoe life, now interactive life in the kingdom. And when we suffer, we cry out, Abba, Father, because we're a member of the family. It's such good news. It's such good news. Isn't that great? It's wonderful. That's what God in Christ has done. Given us a gift. We don't have to repay it. It's a gift that keeps on giving. Amen.